Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, buddy. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jacob. Hello. All right, Jacob. So we are actually reviewing the movie Big Fish, which was your selection for this episode. And uh, it caught me a little off guard. I I guess I, I, I mean, there's so many movies out there. It really could have been anything, but... But Big Fish wasn't one that I thought that you were going to pick. <laughs> so, and it's been a while. Uh, I was telling you before we started recording, it's been about, I would say it's been probably at least a decade. I'm thinking probably more around 12, 13 years since I've seen this movie. So, in rewatching it, uh, it took me back a little bit because I saw this when it came out on DVD uh, in 2004. I think I watched it maybe three times. Um, and then this time. So, this movie, it's uh, it's definitely both a Tim Burton film and unlike any Tim Burton film I've seen. Uh, can you tell me why you chose this movie? Um, it's it's actually one of my uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, just it's always been one of my go tos. Like if I ever need a movie that has a really good balance of uh, lighthearted moments and you know, some somber make you feel moments without having to rely too much on heavy effects or heavy action or anything like that. It's just, it's a really great movie to be able to sit down and just enjoy and not have to be amped up or anything like that. That a lot of movies here lately tend to have following alongside them. Right. And so it's been just been one of my favorites for a long time. So was, when I finally got an opportunity to pick uh, pick one, and it's 
been just I feel like a good moment to pick this one. Okay. All right. So uh this movie, Big Fish, was released on January 9th of 2004. It was written in it was written by Daniel Wallace and John August and directed by Tim Burton with a runtime of 2 hours and 5 minutes, a budget of 70 million dollars, box office returns of 66.8 million domestic, 56.1 million foreign for a total global haul of 122.9 million. It is uh, the cast is uh, Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney, Jessica Lang, Allison Lohman, Billy Crudup, Helena Bottom Carter, Marion Cotillard, and many more. I mean, there's just the cast is pretty incredible, honestly. So it's it's one of those casts that it's like a dream cast, really. But there's only a handful of directors that can get pretty much whoever they want. <laughs> and I think, you know, Tim Burton is one of them. Yeah. Um, all right. So the plot for this, the synopsis is pretty simple. Uh, it's a son. A son is uh, summoned home to say goodbye to a father who spent much of his youth telling him fanciful, long-winded tales of his youth. So, and that's it. I mean, it's really about someone, you know, saying goodbye to the father. So is that pretty much an accurate description? Yeah. A summation, I guess. Because at the end of the day, I mean, despite everything that we see, all the the flashbacks, um, that's really what the story is about. Oh, yeah. It's It's him trying to find a way to be able to say goodbye. Um, All right. So let's do our our one-sentence review. And and you did tell me uh, we were talking briefly that this is a movie that I I think we're both going to have some different views on. Yes. So let's start out with one sentence review and then we'll jump right into talking about the movie. So uh, the one sentence review for me is a beautiful, charming, but ultimately frustrating movie that can't seem to pinpoint what its ultimate message really is understandable <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> but that is not true <laughs> anyway go ahead what's your what's this review <laughs> um i have it's a fantastical story about a man's life in which the world he has weaved is full of wonder and lessons and has some amazing talent behind the movie in and of itself okay all right let's talk about this movie let's talk about the script so the script for this movie kind of frustrates me and I mean, let me kind of let's just dive right into that <laughs> frustration, um, because, you know, on one hand, and I'm not going to just rail on this movie because there is a lot of really good things about this about this movie. Um, but. One of the things that frustrates me about Big Fish. Is that when I got to the end of the movie, besides the ob- obviously besides a, a son who's been estranged from his father for, for many years uh, coming home to tell him goodbye. I remember thinking this back when I originally watched it and, and, you know, I watched it a couple times. It's a very beautiful movie with a great cast, like I said. So watching just that is, is reward enough to uh, rent the movie. But I remember thinking even back when I first watched this, I got to the end and I thought, okay, what's the point? Like, I don't, 
quite understand what the ultimate message is here. Now, obviously, besides telling your father goodbye, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because you have Will, who's just been, he's been told these stories his entire life over and over and over again. It's like, it's like that uh, grandfather, every time you go see him, he ends up telling <laughs> the same stories that and you've heard them like for the last decade and you, you could, you could repeat them. You could do yeah. word for word what the stories are. And, and so I, I get to the end of the movie and I'm thinking, all right, what's the point? Because, you know, it's a, Ed is telling all these stories in which we as the audience know that there's a much more mundane version of the very stories that he's told yeah. that exists. Obviously, the way that we see these things happen on screen is not the way they happened. So is it that Ed feeling like his life didn't measure up to his own imagination of what it would be has told these stories and extremely inflated what happened in the circumstances and the details to impress his son, to, to make his life feel more important than it really was. I mean, I got to the end of the story and I'm like, okay, you know, if you got to the end and he finally admitted, yes, look, none of this, it, it was all a lot more mundane than what I've told you. Mm -hmm. I, I told it to you because of X. This is why I, I made it seem so amazing. Or something like, oh, well, you were a little kid and I thought that this would be much more fun if I just told the stories in this way. Uh, that would make more sense to me. Mm -hmm. But when I watch this movie, I get to the end and I think, okay, yes, Will loves his father. That's true. They've been estranged. There's there's obviously been a lot of friction there. But at the end of the day, you feel like, at least I felt like when it was all said and done, I still don't quite understand what the point is. <laughs> so, you know, so tell me, like, what, what am I, what am I not getting here? Or what is, what's going on here? I, I feel like with the ultimate message that it seems like they're trying to get across. And it's one of the reasons why I think that they had will tell his father how he went, what he saw in the witch's eye. In the sense of, yeah, everything was kind of leading up and you kind of got little bits and pieces of like realizing, okay, maybe not everything he is saying is absolute crap. Like he was in the military. He did – he was believed to have been dead or like at the end with the funeral. Mm -hmm. There was altered versions of the characters that were introduced, but they were still the characters that were introduced. The twins from Korea, the, the ringmaster, the – uh, Northern Winslow, uh, all these characters. And I think it was meant to portray the fact that, yeah, he could have laid out everything as an entirely factual thing, but he was a, he was a man of stories. Mm -hmm. He loved to tell stories and he did it because he, when they showed him reading, telling these stories to his son when he was little and telling him, 
to at the wedding and everything like that. Yeah, people can enjoy a, a good factual recounting of a memory, but everyone loves a, a little bit of a fantastical story. Everyone enjoys that, and that's makes it a lot more uh, more invested. And I, and I think when they were having Will do that at the end for his father and kind of making it such a fantastical thing kind of was meant to help show is like everyone really just likes to have a good story to leave behind something that they can look back on and be like, yeah, this may not have actually happened the way it was, but everyone does a little bit of flourishing. Everyone does a little bit of, yeah tidying up when they recount stuff Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just a great way of like portraying what you really want to portray and getting people to get what actually happened or get what you came of it without it being so oh yeah i almost got hit by a bus but like if you flourish it up a little bit it can make it like an have a moral behind it or stuff like that. It's one of those things of like, it it helps get more investment from people you're telling to, as well as with him, especially he was putting a little bit of himself in every story in that fantastical nature. And, And I think that's really what it was coming. The end goal was is like, yeah, this may have been very much exaggerated, but there's always that little bit of truth. There's always that little bit of basis behind it, but it's what you get from the story. That's important. Well, okay. So I've done, I did a little research on this movie. I mean, there's a reason why I wanted to kind of throw this out here because when I watched the movie, I had a difficult time, like I said, sussing out, what the point of all these big, you know, fantastical stories were. And the one thing that I kept thinking to myself was, and this is the only thing, but even then it's it frustrating. This is where I got the frustration from. Connection is something that I always thought this, what this movie was about in the end was not only was Will trying to say goodbye to his father, but they were trying to connect Mm-hmm. And I thought, why are they trying to connect, right? What is it? I mean, okay, fine. I understand Will has been estranged from his father for years. And he keeps saying it's because, you know, because these stories, because he kept telling these stories over and over again. And obviously, you know, <clears throat> it's not true and these aren't true and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. Okay, what's the point? What's What are they trying to get at here? And so. I did a little research trying to figure out after I watched this movie and I sat down and I was making my notes and everything. And so I looked around and excuse me, sorry, I'm still getting over this, this cold um, that I've had. Um, At at the end, at the end of the day, the stories that um, Edward tells are a way of keeping people at a distance from himself. 
Okay. Like that's the point. It's a, it's an avoidance mechanism at the end of the day that he hides himself in these fa- fantastical stories. And I think that is kind of the point, which I is the problem that I have with this, this movie is that they, instead of finding a way to show that I never felt like they did. Um, because it makes total sense when you look at it from that point of view. And if I could go back and I could change anything about this movie, and it would be a very small change, mm-hmm. it would be, we've seen all of these different things, all these stories throughout the entire runtime. All right? I would, I would have loved, at the end of the movie, before his, his father dies, or maybe even after his father dies, whatever. But we get, we go back again. And instead of seeing the stories that Edward told during the movie, we see the real versions. Just brief glimpses. Stripped down of all the like magic and all of the, the things and all of the, the, the fluff, all the stuff that he added. We see the real version of Edward. And I think that's kind of where I have a problem with this movie. I want to see the real version. At the mm. end of the day, I you know, strip away the the all that stuff. Connect with your son. And that to me is is where I have the problem here is if this is true and that this is just an avoidance mechanism that that Edward has used his entire life to keep people at a distance tell these big stories, hide who I really am. I wasn't really as successful as I thought I was. I really didn't do all these things, uh, you know, that I, that I, my stories say that I did. And certainly not in the way that they happened, really happened. Then showing us the real version and therefore the real version to his son before the very end, I think was, or should have been at the end, Hmm. the point, which when it comes down to it, yes, maybe I told these big tales and I inflated, you know, what happened and how they happened. And maybe, you know, as my grandmother would say, gussied, gussied them up a little bit <laughs> um, <clears throat> in order to make them feel more important yeah. than they really were. But at the end, he, he says, or maybe he whispers something into, into Will's ear and telling him the, the full truth. Maybe we don't even get to hear it, but then we see this flashback. Or as he's whispering it to, to into Will's ear, the truth, not the tales, all that stuff, the truth. And then as he's whispering it, we see all the things stripped down to what they really were. Now he's finally in his last moments connecting with the son, being honest, maybe for the first time in his entire life. And then, then I think you get to the funeral and then we see all the people that he did meet and maybe they aren't quite as fantastical looking because that's the truth. At the end of the day, the fluff is great, but if you, you know, connecting, connecting is I think where I feel like the movie failed for me. And I'm not saying it fails for everybody else. Obviously, you you love this movie. But I'm just saying for (laughs) me, for me, it's the lack of truth and connection really at the end. 
that I, I to me for me it fails there. So okay. that, that's my that's that's just my opinion. <clears throat> so anyway, sense. go ahead. It's it's interesting to think of it as like uh, him hiding in a, in a lot of ways or avoiding, but and and I think it's one of the things. Some of the information we get is proof that I don't know. I I don't see why he would be wanting to hide. And a lot of the stuff that he did do that was actually really great. Like they found the, the deeds to that town that he saved. Like the he actually did save that town. Uh, or, or like the hand thing, like him being a traveling salesman. Some of it was a lot of it was very much real. Like the fact that he was. Uh, missing an action and believed to be dead from the military and everything like that. It it's really to me it, those parts are what help the connection with his son. I, I feel like because it it seems it to me it's his son finally realizing finally learning that. Just because they were flourished stories doesn't mean they weren't based in reality and based in fact. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that connection because in all the grand scheme of things, they were kind of in a sense, two stories, one of which of how he met his wife and one of which of how, Well, what kind of father he was to his son and bringing it back around to his son and all about his son's life and how he was as a man and how he tried to be the best man he could. And a lot of ways that to me is why he kept telling those stories is like he want. I think he wanted his son to just see him as that grand person because like some of it yeah was very much well over embellished and he isn't as crazy or amazing as he made it out to be but like I, I think that was one of the biggest things that he wanted was just for his son to see him not in the light of a liar he wanted to see him as the as he did when he was a little kid again mm-hmm. this great man who did great things and i think that's really what the connection is meant to be and when he's trying to get his son to realize is like when he asked him like why don't you just tell me the truth and he's like i've been telling you who i am i've been telling the truth the whole time it's i think he's just wanting him to see him even if it is a little embellished even if it is a little fantastical it's not in the sense of like don't think it's meant to be an avoidance per se i think it definitely is a little bit of a a face he wants to put on a good face and show that show his son that facade of greatness that he believes he did well let me let me kind of uh give you um an example of mm-hmm. kind of reinforcing what I was saying earlier. So, you know, when you first start dating somebody, right? Yeah. Everybody, everybody on both sides of the relationship 
puts their best face forward, right? You don't know one another very well. So you try to be as perfect as possible to the other person, Mm -hmm. right? But as time goes on, and certainly if you date for you know, period of time or you eventually get married, as time wears on, probably fairly quickly, um, that kind of usually falls away. You know, you reveal the, you know, worst aspects of yourself, I guess, your, your flaws as a person, right? Which the other person would obviously eventually see. Because at some point that all falls away, that trying to, it, it's not even like, it's just something we do, I think, a lot of people do because we we want to be desirable to the other person. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want the flaws that we know we do have to be obvious. It's not like you sit down on the first date and you say, you just spew out all this, you know, this is how I am and I'm, I'm chronically late for everything. And, you know, all this, you know, whatever your flaws happen to be as a person, that would be terrible and, and you would not... <laughs> date anybody for that long because nobody (laughs) wants to find that out on date one. Okay. So at some point though, after you've been dating and after you've forged some kind of connection, you can let the real you shine through. And that's when hopefully as that happens over the course of time, uh, the other person is okay with it and you have a real relationship. And that to me is where I have the problem here because I, I'm sure his father did all the things in the movie that he said, more or less. But first of all, you got to remember, Will is a journalist. He is a seeker of truth. Mm-hmm. So having somebody tell him stories that he knows are, at their core, probably true, but dressed up so much that they barely re- you know, resemble the real events has got to mm-hmm. be frustrating to him. Just uh, on that level. <clears throat> but I want to say this because uh, there's something I want to read here. This is from the novelist because the the novel uh, mm-hmm. Big Fish, a novel of mythic proportions by author Daniel Wallace was published in 1998. His father died. And this is what he had to say. He said, the reconciliation of the father-son relationship between Edward and William is the key theme. Wallace said his interest in the theme of the father-son relationship began with his own family. He said, Wallace found uh, the charming character of Edward Bloom similar to his father who used charm to keep his distance from other people. In the film, Will believes Edward has never been honest with him because Edward creates extravagant myths about his past to hide himself using storytelling as an avoidance mechanism. Edward's stories are filled with fairy tale characters, a witch, a mermaid, a giant, a werewolf, and places like a circus, small towns, and the mythological city of Uh, Spectre, all of which are classic images and archetypes. The quest motif propels both Edward's story and Will's attempt to get to the bottom of it. Wallace explains the the father's quest is to be a big fish in a big pond, and the son's quest is to see through his tall tales. Yeah. Which, I mean, is is totally understandable. Um, But, you know, I, I remember thinking, you know, the same thing, you know, not exactly because obviously I don't, I'm not the author of the, the book, but you know, yeah. just back when I first watched it, I, I thought, you know, at the end, I'm like, I don't understand why at the end he doesn't tell him. But anyway, 
let, let's kind of stop it there and let's let's talk really <laughs> about other parts about this movie because there are some really great things about this that I, I I love. The imagery is fantastic, but just from a script standpoint, if we look at beyond present day with Will coming home, and that's stuff we can talk about, but let's talk about the flashback stuff because we do meet Edward as a young man, played by Ewan McGregor. Talk about what you love so much about the early portions of this, of his story. All of it's just so, it's so lighthearted, but it's still so, has so many moments of like somber and seriousness to it. Like the, the scenes with like the witch, like the pairing of her as an old woman. And then, kind of later when they kind of bring it full circle with uh, the girl from Spectre. Uh, it just Ewan McGregor as a whole was great in this and like all of his scenes were he brought such an air of lightheartedness to the to the character and the script like moments where he's just the like going out of town to have the giant like take him up as a sacrifice just to get him to stop eating all of the animals <laughs> from the town. Like right. it's just so ridiculous, but it's just so hilarious all in all. And it, it, it's kind of, it, it's moments like that, that make it really just really well done because it represents like that small town America that, everybody kind of knows of everyone sees in a lot of these things, but not in the sense of like, this is a character that did great in small town. America wants to go out of that small town because they just know that they can't stay there. They are destined to do bigger and better things. And then actually does it and doesn't have a lot of issues and actually has a lot of success with what he does. He goes and meets crazy characters and crazy people, but doesn't let it make him a crazy person, in a sense. Um, doesn't make him lose who he wants to be and what he was looking for. And that's a lot of, a lot of the, I think, those flashbacks lead to is he's he wants a grand life, but he also wants a family. He wants to have the girl of his dreams. He wants to have all these things and he does it. He, and a way that is just as fantastical as every kind of story tries to be. It's he, the freaking ridiculousness of the field of daffodils that in no way, shape or form should ever be plausible. But <laughs> yeah, he does it. And yeah. like, he gets his ass beat by the other guy, but <laughs> He just sits there and takes it because he knows that's what he needs to do. And it's just, it's so well done in those scenes where he's this, he shows that he is a great individual. He's very charismatic. He's very talented in every way, but isn't afraid to get, get the crap kicked out of him. He's not afraid to work at a freaking carnival to get what he wants. And, 
it's, it's just it's really well done how they portray a lot of those scenes in the flashbacks because he, he's not just looking out for himself either he helps as many people as he can along the way he's he actually portrays himself as just trying to be a good person too like um like the giant like norther winslow and like that the small town of specter he just genuinely wants to be a great person and a great um help to a lot of people yeah i mean look i i like the early scenes i like um like i said i like the story in general i love the flashbacks i love that you know he like you said he is this um big fish in a little pond you know in this small town it i've you know if you come from a small town and i do i went to school with somebody who um he now he's been playing in the in the nfl for like 15 probably 15 16 years now um yeah about 15 years he's been in the nfl he was he was the star athlete he played uh, football. Uh, he wrestled. I think he played baseball. I'm not entirely sure, but I know he wrestled and he played football. And he was the standout athlete. He was the he was the standout athlete in, I think, the, in Pennsylvania, at the time. So not, not even our town, but I mean, he left and you know went to college and and then went you know to the NFL. He's a football player. He's been there for like I said for for a long time. So you see somebody who's a, a big fish in a little pond and they go on to have success. And that's certainly great. And I think from a story standpoint, that, that certainly does not bother me. Um, kind of reminds me of how um, there's um, a certain element of Forrest Gump in this movie. <laughs> um, because if you look at Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump, was involved, saw, and did a lot of things over the course of his life, which, I mean, he shook hands with JFK. Or no, was it JFK? No, no, it was... Um, who was it that he shook hands with in that movie? Was it Lyndon, was it Lyndon Johnson? Yeah. It was Lyndon Johnson. That's who it was. One was JFK, because JFK had already been killed. Um, but yeah, so he he shook hands with, with the president. Uh, he was a star football player. Uh, you know, he went to Vietnam, you know, just all these things that happened to him. And, and again, he came from a small town as well. So I kind of see some of that here where you're seeing somebody, it's like a fable, really. You're seeing somebody who um, leaves a small town and goes out and does all of these amazing things. Uh, and certainly for, like from a visual standpoint, the movie's gorgeous uh mm-hmm. 2003 and the special effects look fantastic and you know you could also tell though that they did a lot of in-camera stuff as much as possible oh, which yeah. i appreciated quite a bit by the way um because we see you see how how uh poorly a lot of special effects age and so the more <laughs> you can do in camera the better um but i like i yeah, like this I like the story. I like I like Edward leaving. I like him going to the circus. Uh, I love that he sees the woman that he feels deep down he's going to marry, and he he decides 
pretty much then and there that that Sandra is, is going to be his wife, which yeah. I, I find charming. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, it, it is. Like you said, it, it's very much a, a – it's a fable. It's that story of a character that leaves to go on and do bigger, better things and does. Yeah. So um, he, yeah. Uh, he, he ends up courting Sandra, right? He, yeah, he he gets his butt whipped, but he gets her. <laughs> he does get her. Yeah, I, and just the the way he learns everything about her too is just great. Like <clears throat> just doing all that work for Danny DeVito's character to just to get little bits of information so he can meet her and know who she is. That because. Kind of hard to, you know, just by seeing somebody to know anything about him. You gotta, he had to do all the work to prove that he did. It wasn't just a stranger to him. Yeah, which is, is smart, right? And yeah. By also <laughs> learning about her, he's able to find a way to make a connection with her quicker. Yeah, just being completely like, oh, so who are you? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself because he already has so much information from the start. Well, not yeah. from the start, but but before they really, really even begin to to yeah. you know see each other in any way. So, um, quickly, what do you what is your view on Sandra in this movie, both the past version and the present day version? Because she knows she knows the truth of a lot of these stories, not all of them, because she wasn't present for everything, but she knows the truth as well. So, so what are your thoughts on her? Because she doesn't seem to have any any problem with the stories that he tells and has told. So, start start with the young Sandra and just tell me about her character. You know, what do you think about her? Well, I think the, the younger Sandra is is very much in a situation of somebody who's also just trying to figure out who they are, who what they want with life. Like she's clearly at college. She's trying to figure out – like that's a time for everyone to try and figure out what they want in life. Um, so I think they did a good job of kind of portraying her in that sense of hopeful but still kind of a blank slate. Like she – she seems very much just trying to figure everything out herself as well. Um, and especially as they kind of portray it a little bit later, they, they gave her a little bit, but not a whole lot as the young Sandra. But as, as we get to the, the real, the, the modern day version in the sense of like how you're mentioning with the stories and everything, I think, I think she I think she knows that's what not only what Edward wants in life is just to be able to have that fantastical persona and story and life behind him but I think she also knows it's like as much as Will gets upset about it all and everything like that she like you said she knows probably the whole truth to like the 99th percent of the whole truth 
mm-hmm. in a lot of those situations. So I, I think to her, she's probably just thinking like, try, she's trying to get people, get like Will to understand. Like, it's not like she even mentions later. She's like, not everything he says is a lie. Like she, she knows that it's a lot of what he's portrayed and told him is true. She may not be able to tell as much from before they met, but everything after she probably is like, yeah, no, like other than like a few flourishments, it's, it's all true. Uh Like he was like, he was MIA. He did. He was a traveling salesman. He did save the town. He did all of these things. Uh Um, and I, and I think they kind of portrayed her as more of a, as a very good kind of ancillary, like, here is what kind of actually happened, but it's not really interfering in the sense, like it's all what he says is true mm-hmm. in a sense kind of deal. It, they, it, they definitely kind of make her more of a character that starts off that way. And then as she gets to modern day, she becomes, uh, she is a, a character of, trying to keep that balance and keep everyone to understand, especially as, you know, her husband's dying. She did a great job of like showing, like she just, even though he's dying, she wants him to be not in any pain, but she wants will to understand, like and trying to get, she's trying to reconcile everything as well because she knows that it needs to happen. She's like a lot of, She's like a lot of people like to me, she reminds me of my grandmother. She's like, she wants everybody to just try and put aside your damn differences and just be happy, (laughs) be happy. (laughs) Like stop. Who gives a shit if it was fantastical stories? He's on his deathbed kind of deal. Like it's kind of the way that like they make, they did a good job of making her out of like a real character in that sense of like, she doesn't, she just wants people to be happy. She wants people to realize like who gives a shit if it's a story kind of deal. She's like, he's, he's dying. He's dying. <laughs> or like the same with like earlier when like will kind of walks out on of his own wedding reception, mm-hmm. she tries to stop it. She's like, but at that moment, it's hard for her to try and keep that balance. Cause it's like, he's, of her husband who's telling a little embellished truth while her son's getting frustrated about it. And it's just, they did a good, I don't know. She was a very interesting character in that sense. Yeah. I think that her character, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little split there. I think I would argue that, and this isn't uh, by any way an indictment on the actresses. I think, you know, Alison Lohman uh, is a, is fantastic in this role um, as the younger version. And then obviously Jessica Lang is the older version, but I think her character for me, she definitely feels more central to what's going on and has more depth. I think in the older version present day. Oh yeah. Whereas I feel like to a certain extent, I feel like she's a little 
a little too lightweight in the in the flashbacks. Uh, if she's she feels a little sidelined because this is his story. This is Edward's yeah. story. She's simply part of it. But because of that, and because the movie's two hours and five minutes, so it doesn't have a lot of time given that we're shifting back and forth between present day and the the, the past that uh, they can really beef up her character very much. I mean, I hate to say it, but she feels a little bit like, um, well, she's idealized for sure. Then again, we're also being told these stories. So um, there's that too, but it, it just her background or her, not back, her, not her background, her flashback, the flashback version of her character as a young woman um, it just feels like she's kind of along for the ride, you know, more than anything else. Um, but again, given the focus of the story and everything, it's uh, it's also understandable as well. So, yeah, like I wanted to get more about what does she want in life? What What is she searching for? And uh, I don't know that we I don't think we ever really got an answer to that. Very much. She just kind of met Edward and, and things kind of fell in place and boom, here we go. Um, I think know. that would have, I, I think with him and with the kind of position the character was meant to be, it was, it was meant to be that idealized, like his ideal woman, in a sense. It was like she was the catch. Like, and I think in a lot of ways it makes it easier to keep the image of the ideal woman for the audience when they don't get too much, at least in the early, like as the younger girl, because it, like I said, it's kind of like that blank slate. It makes it a little bit easier to portray what or project what your ideal what you would imagine the ideal woman would want if there's, if you're not told what she would want in life kind of deal. And I think that's why they kind of went that way, at least for the younger, uh, the younger version. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the, the present day version, there's given the fact that we only have what four people in the house total. Um, and that the action month, well, it's not really action, but the 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 events are <clears throat> focused in a very small location. It's a house. Uh, it allows her a character to have more to say, which I appreciated because you know in the in the flashbacks, <clears throat> you know Edward's off doing all these things, and it takes the focus away from her. Um, when she's not really there, you know, he's off, you know, doing what he's doing and taking part in all these events, which he then obviously tells to his son. So, you know, I think from a, from a script standpoint, I, I, I like the present day stuff as well. Um, you see the dynamic going on as, as Will brings home, um, which I I completely forgot that it was uh, Marianne Cotillard um, in this role. I I totally <laughs> totally forgot that it was her. I, I 
it just totally just blew my mind. I'm like, wow, that's right. She, that is her. Okay. Yeah. It was her first American mm-hmm. film. Yep. And you know, so, uh, you know, she, he, she's there and, and she's being told these stories as well, you mm-hmm. know, which I, I appreciate in that it's being told to somebody that's not his son. And so the point of view is going to be different and she's going to come away with a different take on it than, than Will, who has heard these stories ad nauseum for, for the last 25 years <laughs> or so or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's nice. I, I like the present day stuff quite a bit as well. Um, so give me your, your what do you, what's your script grade for this? I gave the script a 90. Uh, I I really clearly uh, enjoyed the script. I enjoyed a lot of the messages they were trying to portray and what they were kind of trying to do. Um, and, and that's one of the things like we kind of mentioned. We each – and it happens with everybody in every movie. I, I clear, uh, took a little bit different – meaning from some of the decisions that were made towards the end and everything like that. But I, um, I really liked it. I really enjoyed the direction they went and what they were kind of focusing on and how they decided to portray the flashbacks and everything of the sort. But, um, like you said, there's some, clearly there's room for confusion so it can very easily, um, lead to a lot of well does it actually mean that does it mean this is it meant to be come across this way and they could have potentially given the earlier version of uh, of will's mom uh, a, a lot more depth to help make her a little bit less of just a sidelined character but um all in all still really great script in my opinion okay uh i gave it a a 75 and um all the positive stuff that that we've talked about um that's all great i I, like i said i definitely agree uh with the younger version of um what's her name now i'm pulling a blank um can't think of her name. I'm not pulling a blank. Um, Sandra. There Sandra. Yeah. yeah. So, like, not not giving her more to do, not beefing her up more. I, th- I think what would have been nice. But again, this really for me comes down to what I've, I felt like was the lack of of getting to the point at the end and the lack of clarity about the stories and, and everything. And for me, that that's kind of a sticking point. It was when I first watched it and it, it same thing now about 15 years later, but overall still the script itself, despite that being a problem for me, there's so much charm to the script and obviously the actors and uh, the director um, have a lot to do with what we see, but just from a script standpoint, and the way it's laid out, um, it it feels like it's this fantastical, breezy 
uh, fun, just highly enjoyable ride. Yeah. So um, if we add that up, it comes out to an 82 overall for the script. So let's move on to the acting because the acting deserves special mention here. Uh, the acting here is excellent, by the way. This Absolutely. is just top-notch cast. I mean, who's who of top talent all the way down the list. Uh, I mean, Ewan McGregor, charming. He can sing. He can dance. I mean, is there anything the guy can't do? Um you know, Albert Finney is amazing. Jessica Lang, Billy Crudup. I mean, I mean, there are people like Steve Buscemi is in it as well. Um, yeah. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's, a, it's a who's who of, of talent. And yeah. yeah, but if you, if you focus in on the core group here, you know, Ewan McGregor, Albert Finney, Billy Crudup, Jessica Lang. Uh, Allison Lohman, uh, those there, and probably, well, yeah, that's it. I would say those those are the characters that really are the most important. Probably uh, Marion Cotillard, she she does play a role here too. But that to me is where majority of the film really, you know, the acting is just um, really centered and. It's it's great. Um, I gave I gave it an eighty five. Uh, I really yeah. felt like this cast came to play and they gave excellent performances. Like any any issues I have with the script do not really extend to the acting, which I think is uh, really really good. Yeah, I, I everything I agree with so much. I I even like really enjoyed Helena Bonham Carter for the different roles she played in this and as the witch and as the girl Ginny is the, the witch was definitely more up her usual alley for characters and aesthetic and everything. But then to go on the complete opposite side as Ginny, it was just really, really interesting for her as well along those lines. And just honestly, it's probably one of my favorite performances of Ewan McGregor's in this and just having such a great balance of charm, lightheartedness and seriousness in his performance is just fantastic. Him and Albert Finney just knocked it out of the park to me and yeah uh, i would have to give uh acting a 93 because it's just to me it's probably one of ewan mcgregor's best performances just because in so many of his roles have been so serious and so not letting him have the time to be a little bit of a lighter hearted and let him take that range a little bit. And it's really nice to see him do it and see that he can do it just fantastically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. And it's, uh, again, top notch cast. Uh, there's only so many directors in Hollywood that can pretty much get whoever they want. And this is one of them. 
So overall, if we add that up, that's an 87 for acting. Um, directing. Let's talk about that. So I, I gave uh, directing an 85. Okay. So I, again, I thought this was uh, uh, definitely a Tim Burton movie. I was impressed by, honestly, I was impressed by how at times it didn't feel like a Tim Burton movie, though. And it's nice to see a director step outside of his comfort zone from time to time. And this is not entirely outside of his comfort zone, but, you know, he directed the scenes on, at present day very yeah. well. And it there's no, there's no... There's nothing amazing or fantastical about anything that happened in present day. And I, I felt like that to me was refreshing because I like Tim Burton, Burton a lot as a director, but I do wish at times I'd like to see him tackle a project and be a little more straightforward just to see almost like, can he do it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, Hey, can you just direct a drama and, and yeah. see what happens? Um, but you know, the fantastical scenes with the special effects and everything, the wide shots of the circus, the inside of the tent, the stop motion, not, not stop motion, um, the moments where the special effects stop, time stops. Uh, oh, yeah. Very nice. Uh, it all looks gorgeous. Uh, yeah, so I gave it an 85. Yeah, he he did a did a great job. It's, um, the comment of like, it's the least Tim Burton-y Tim Burton movie ever, it seems like, uh, just because, like you said, with a lot of those scenes just if you were to walk in and see that, you would not imagine that's Tim Burton doing it just because he, he's kind of got his wheelhouse. It's like a, a John Woo directed movie. Yeah. The, you can peg a John Woo movie from a mile away. Same with Tim Burton. And it, it was really nice to see him, like you said, kind of s- step out of his wheelhouse a little bit. And I, like, I wish he would do some more because for lack of, I like a lot of his movies, but this was one of the, I think the last of his, of him at his height and has been kind of a little bit of a steady decline for some of his movies as of late. And I would like to see him kind of, I don't know, like, like take a break from like Tim Burton-y style and try something different. Try to get, I don't know, like take a, take a step back and see what he can do when that, it's not something like freaking Alice in Wonderland that he tried to do. That was just, we won't even get into, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was really just refreshing because he did a great job. And even outside of like the time stopping moments, just how he was able to handle, uh, the giant man, like n- no way, shape or form was that any CG. It was just getting a, certain angle on the scene and being able to position everything just right to where he looks two to three times his normal size. Mm -hmm. It was, it was just, he did a great job. I gave him a 91. Okay. All right. 91 for that. All right. So that comes out to in 87 overall for directing. Uh, special effects. Um, I gave it an 85. Uh, I thought that uh, they are very well done. I, f- I feel like they've actually aged fairly well overall. Some spots here and there, which I, I think just, you know, 
it's it's 15 years old. It's uh, you know some of them don't hold up quite as well, but there's still some shots which just stunning. I mean, they look like they were done today, right? Yeah. Special effects wise. Um, but still, I mean, very good special effects for the most part. I feel like they hold up very well. Like I said, a lot of in camera, as much in camera effects as they could do, which really helps enhance and make the effects last over time. Um, so yeah, an eighty-five for me. Yeah, uh, I gave uh, special effects an eighty-nine. Like everything you said, don't like there was just like a moment here or there that maybe could have been just slightly done a little differently, might made it hold up a little bit better. But all in all, it's really well done and really hold up quite well. Okay, um, so yeah, it's an eighty-seven for effects. 87 um and then pacing so uh so here's the weird thing uh the movie's two hours and five minutes i gave the pacing an 80 uh and it doesn't have anything to do with the length of the film uh it really it has something to do with the jumping back and forth between present and past and i remember there were some spots in the movie where it it was. It got a little frustrated because we were jumping back and forth, and I I felt like some portions of the story in the present, and then because as things were playing out, and then things are happening in the past, it was like that's the worst time you could make that cut and go to the present. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> but you know, for two hours and five minutes, it's not a long movie. But from a pacing standpoint, it didn't really work as well for me as I thought it would. And like, granted, I haven't seen this in 15 years, so it, it took uh, me as by surprise. I didn't feel like the pacing was as effective as it could have been. However, it's not badly paced. It's just not as well paced as I, I thought that it would be when I saw the runtime um, and thought, okay, you know, this story should move by quickly, but that the plot and uh, what happens in both timelines should you know, be almost perfect, but that's just me. What is your grade? Um, I gave it a 91. Okay. So you uh, are I, yep, different. Okay. Very different. Um, yeah, I, I guess some of those could be a little jarring. I, I don't know. To me, it felt like the, like when they were trying to come back from the flashback, it really wasn't, like they had to do it like it was that point was like the most logical and made the most sense for it kind of deal in those scenes. I mean, they could have probably done a little bit better job of how they came back to from the flashback. But I thought like every way they kind of led into the flashbacks were just really great. And I thought they did a great job of that. It did not feel like a two hour and five minute movie. Um, yeah, it, it, I I thoroughly enjoyed it because and it says something because I'm not usually one for a movie that has a whole lot of flashbacks because it, it generally to me it takes away. But the, I thought this one did really well in that regard, so I gave it a 91. Okay, all right. So overall, that gives it an 85 for pacing. Uh, rewatchability, uh, for me, I gave it an 80. 
I thought this, this is a movie. It's uh, two hours, five minutes. It's got a lot of great things in there, a lot of great effects, uh, fantastic acting, a, a touching story being told. Uh, it, it definitely is a movie that I could, I, I know I haven't seen it in 15 years, but I could sit down and watch this movie again, no problem. Uh, for me, it's I gave it a give it a ninety five. Uh, that's what big giveaway because it's one of my favorite movies. So I could sit down and probably watch this once a month without batting an <laughs> eye because yeah. I I just I, I Hugh McGregor is, does great in it. Like you said, the the visuals are freaking stunning, and I just I I really love the story that they're trying to portray and really uh just i thoroughly enjoy it and the, like i said it, it's just it's still every time i watch it I, it's like hard to believe that it's a tim burton movie sometimes and it's just it, it's always refreshing in that vein to like it, i don't know it's it's like seeing like a freaking steven spielberg were to step out of his wheelhouse it'd be like this is crazy that this is a Spielberg movie. Like what is going on? Like if Spielberg did like a horror movie or something. Yeah. Like it would, it would just like, I'm, I honestly would watch that a lot just because I want to see if I can find the spots where it's like, that is straight up a Spielberg moment. Mm -hmm. And it's, and that's kind of like with this one, like the, the circus scenes kind of have a decent bit of, Tim Burton moments with Danny DeVito and everything like that. And it's great to be able to try and like look for those as well as enjoy the balance of him really trying to go outside of that and a lot of scenes too. So it, yeah, I clearly it's my, <laughs> Hey, we all, we all have those movies, you know, it's, it's just, we all, we all have those movies that, uh, you know, say something to us yeah. and that we could watch, you know, over and over again without any problem. Yep. All right. So if we look uh, at the grade here, well, because if we look at the grades, um, you know, rewatchability, well, I guess that would make an 87 for rewatchability. Um, but overall, we tally up the grades. Uh, I have an 81. And you have a 91. So the overall grade for Big Fish is an 86. Which right. is a pretty pretty good grade, actually. Uh, so is there any, any final thoughts you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, I mean, I would hope if you're listening to this, you've seen it. But if you have not seen it in a long time, definitely go back and revisit it. Because, yeah. It's one of those movies, honestly, is it's a very every time I mention this movie, people are like, what movie is that? Because <laughs> nobody it, it's. It's honestly a, people forget a about smaller. It. Yeah, yeah, like it, it's a smaller movie or people just don't remember it because it was 2003 now. Was mm-hmm. one of, yeah, it was released in 2003. It's been 16 years, but still a movie that has a lot of really greatness in it that I think people should not forget. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a good movie. You should check it out. It's, it's both the most Tim Burton-y and not Tim Burton-y <laughs> movie you'll see in his <laughs> filmography. Um, 
it's it's definitely it's got great visuals it's got a great cast it's excellent acting go check it out because um it you know i from my point of view it does have some flaws but you know what a lot of movies do and there's even movies that i love that i know have flaws and yeah, there's certainly nothing wrong with it so um <laughs> if you'd like to send in feedback you can send it to freakinggeeksmedia@gmail.com you can uh, go to patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks and help support the podcast. And you can go to our website at freakinggeeks.com and uh, you can rate and review the movie just like we do uh, on here. So uh, that's it, Jacob. So uh, thanks for coming on and talking about this movie with me. Well, thank you for having me. All right, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, We're going to be doing another movie before October's out. That way we can do a horror movie. Not sure exactly what it's going to be at this moment, but uh, look out for that. And we'll see you guys next time on the Freaking Geeks Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks Podcast. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. If you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.